You're listening to the Simple Growth Podcast, the show that helps business owners get their life back. Here's your host, Mike Callahan. All right, we're live. All right. Hey, welcome back to the awesome. SA Weekly Talk Show. Mike Callahan here with my co-host, Cody Owen, special guest, Corey Schneider, uh, previously of Infusionsoft. Met him probably, I don't know, three, three maybe five years ago. Um, had the pleasure of learning a lot of sales and techniques from Corey. We're instrumental in, in growing my lawn care company the way it is um, through automations and just sales process. Um, we're going to be diving into certain, certain things such as content marketing, life cycle marketing, how you can use that in your lawn care or home cleaning or service business. Um, little background on Corey. Uh, he was with Infusionsoft when they were at several million dollars um, as they scaled to the 100 million mark. So he was part of their part, part of the development channel, uh, grabbed people uh, and executed a sales uh pipeline for them to show them how to go out and attract, uh, educate, deliver, and wow, and then upsell more services. So um, the things you're going to learn here are executable in any um, service business, not even, a, you know, not alone, just a software business. So um, Corey has since left Infusionsoft. He's over at ZenReach where they um, take patrons' data over Wi-Fi and collect that. Um, so he's just a sales ninja and I'm just glad to have you on the show today, Corey. So um, if people, you know, haven't heard about you, I told about your background a little bit, but if you want to give a quick background, uh, how you cut your teeth in sales and, and you started to help scale these multi, multi-million dollar businesses. Uh, pretty interesting backstory. Yeah, I mean, it's it, interesting how you kind of fall into figuring out what you love to do, right? I mean, so as you go through and you kind of, as a, you graduate from high school and you have no idea what you want to be as far as you're concerned, you want to be a, a police officer or doctor or whatever it may be. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be a... Uh, I'm going to be a physician's assistant. And then I realized, you know what? I hate school. Um, so I'm going to go to the school of the hard knocks, which is just getting in, digging in and, and de- de- digging deep. And so got into sales, worked in the education uh, realm of sales and transitioned into small businesses. And I figured out exactly what I love. And um, I realized I love small businesses because my dad owned two small businesses and construction companies, service-based businesses and everything else. My sister owned a carpet cleaning company. My mom was a realtor. It was, it was like a family thing. And transitioned to work for Infusionsoft and um, had great success in the sales arena and did it through a indirect channel through receiving referrals and things like that. And so I transitioned that into over the last seven years, building and developing Infusionsoft's channel from the ground up from 25 partners to over 500 and um, was able to be get, was able to understand what lifecycle marketing meant to me and how to uh, transition that into um, a sales platform that allowed me to, to not only connect with the people that I was working with, but show them areas of the businesses that they're missing or having holes in their business and how to transition that into revenue and monetize it. Awesome. And I know one, I've seen you talk live in many, many, many different venues, but one of the small intimate venues that, that recently I saw you was in uh, Toronto, Canada, where I made it, made the trek north for three hours uh, for some Canadian beer and some, some insight. Um, and, and I'm, Really, it was really insightful how you, you dissected life cycle marketing. But before we dive into that, I think one of the things you may be able to relate this is what relate to this as well uh, with the family-run businesses that you know the other members of your family had is um, the the issue that we see right now in these service business, especially lawn care right now, is a lot of the owners um, or at least managers are taking their foot off the sales gas pedal. Um, so we've gotten through this awful rush of the spring season and it's go, 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 go. And now we're backlogged probably a month or two months worth of work. Um, but it's an eight to 10 month long season in most areas. And like in Arizona, it's a 12 month gig. Um, so a lot yep. of things is, is these business owners are, are, are getting um, complacent that now they have this workload and this log. 
Um, but what we find is we, if we have a, a way to go out um, after the spring rush and go out and continually market for leads when we traditionally don't do that, um, we've recovered most of our overhead recovery. So our expenses are recovered going into the fall season. So the more top line sales we can get directly relate to the bottom line revenue of profit. So um, I, I kind of wanted to put that in context for everybody listening. And obviously you're probably familiar with that with some of the seasonal businesses of the family as far as construction. So how would you uh, go out and generate buzz or some attention for a seasonal business such as lawn or even a non-seasonal business such as home cleaning uh, to continue that, that buzz and that awareness of the brand and the things that you're going out there to keep that sales pipeline and that funnel full? Well, it's, what's interesting about that, you bring it up, is that um, I had a customer that I was working with and a partner, they, they did, um, they were a chimney sweep company. That was kind of their vertical or niche that they focused in. And they were trying to help this industry understand how, uh, how, how important it was to collect the information and do follow-up because they would collect it literally for about four or five months of the year. They would collect that information and they would um, not use it as follow-up. They literally convert them into a customer and they'd go spend the same amount of money, a cost of acquisition, they'd go, they'd go spend the same amount of money and go do it again the next year. So they were they were paying for a customer every year when in reality, all it took was that little bit of follow-up that they could have done by just putting, collecting the information as much as possible, executing on some sort of follow-up and some sort of a relational building opportunity. And it literally every year they had to go and rebuy it, but they thought they were killing it for it. They'd be like, yeah, my, my calendar is backed up for eight weeks. Well, that's actually not good. Because that means you're going to have people that are falling off two weeks in saying, screw this, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so you're basically supporting another person's business by doing great marketing. But because you're backed up for so long, because you're not extending your period of service, it's giving other people money. And so that's just an example of that. I mean, it, collecting information, following up and doing those things is extremely important, not only just to keep them at the forefront of their minds, but when it's time for that service to actually go down you're going to be the first one they hear from in an email versus a Google ad. So, so if I'm hearing you right, um, it would probably be instrumental, uh, maybe just starting out with an Excel sheet or a Google doc, but you probably need a, a CRM platform to segment that. Um, you know, obviously this is the SA weekly talk show, but a, a product like service autopilot or uh, another CRM, if you, if you, you know, if you're watching this, you don't have a CRM. Is there certain things within that CRM um, and obviously maybe automations as well, to be able to segment that list to have a more personal conversation. And then maybe we can dive into maybe what cost lifecycle marketing is right from that lead acquisition. But before we actually dive into that whole process, how would you approach, um, you know, go, going after a CRM to segment and, and be able to build that list continually, not just one time the spring rush and then having to rebuild it again. So if I'm hearing you right, there may be some value to creating a database segment and be able to work that year in year out throughout the year. Absolutely. I mean, nobody loves to get an email that says, hey, we'd love for you to be our customer. And you're like, dude, I've been with you for 10 years. Right. Dish Network sends me an email, I think, every single month saying, hey, 50 percent off to become a customer. I'm like, dude, I've been with you for 10 years. Um, so the segmentation is extremely key. Um, that's the reason that's the main benefit also for the sake of a CRM. Right. Just in the sense of collecting your data and having that segmentation. That's one. Hey, real, Two, is real quick. Let, sorry, right. go for it. Uh, we have someone in the comments uh, wanting us to roll back just a step and explain what a CRM is. So let's do that real quick, just so we make oh, sure everybody's bad. on the same page. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Before so we talk about what you need yeah. from it, let's talk about what it is. 
Corey, I'll let you handle that. Customer yeah, relationship management software. Go with it. Yeah, customer relationship management software. I mean, you can think of it as a really, really nice glorified Excel if you have to. It's a way to basically just housing your data in one centralized uh, solution. So give an example, a place where it shows your na the name of the client, um, the email address, phone number, and basically the content. So and that that's the benefit of it. Is it a place to just house the information outside of an Excel document or unfortunately sticky notes, That that's still a thing. Um, and Outlook. Outlook is probably the easiest way if you're gonna if you're if you're currently there and financially it's a little bit of tight, then your Outlook you could get away with. No problem, Rick. Yeah, great answer. And, and one thing is you're looking for a CRM solution. Um, I'm a little biased uh, as we've kind of incorporated everything under one roof. Um, is you want to pretty pretty much avoid they call it multiple system chaos. So if you've got double entry, you've got some of your database here, you got some of your database here, and then you got something over here. Um, that's something that we find not necessarily a, a lot in the lawn care industry. We'll find one or two maybe software programs, but if you're launching and you're, and you're in the home cleaning industry, it's not uncommon to find a home cleaning uh, industry uh, company where they may be using five or six different um, packages all at once. And very similar yeah. to the messaging, Corey, you were talking about is, you know, hey, we'd love you to have back this customer. Well, in this one main system, they may be marked as a customer, but the CRM platform they're using to do email marketing um, may not have them segmented as a customer. So you, you're going to be able to ruin that relationship where if you have everything under one platform and you segment it, um, going into lifecycle marketing, they can begin to know, like, and trust you because you've segmented You're going to have a personal relationship that's meaningful and hopefully you're providing some value and content up front through that reciprocity. They're going to reach back out to you. And kind of diving into that, um, if, if you want to give a quick overview of lifecycle marketing and then we can break into the three or four phases of it, the attract wow and upsell. Um, I think that's really, yeah. really valuable, especially in, in the service industry. Yeah, what's interesting is, um, so again, the CRM is kind of like your your data entry. It's your first point of contact, or it's your it's it's where you're housing really your money because it's where you house your prospects and your customers. So, you know, do you put your money into a safe or do you throw it on the ground, right? And so that's kind of the way you want to think about it. Is you put it in a safe. Well, your safe is your CRM, but um, lifecycle marketing in regards to that terminology is pretty simple in the way that I think about it, which is capture, educate, convert, repeat, and referral. For the most part, everybody does does okay at the conversion part because when they smell money, they go after it, right? So they smell blood, they go after it. That's pretty simple. It's it's really the front and the back where most, including myself, suck at. I have a, a, a bacon business where I make custom flavored bacon and I, I, I suck myself and I, and I teach this, <laughs> um, but it's really the attraction part. That's probably one of the most important pieces because when you look at attracting your prospects and, and uh, attracting your customers and your future customers, you have to figure out what specifically are you going to use to attract them? And you got to get creative on how you attract them evolving with the times changing, even, even all the way down to check, taking a look at your competitors and seeing what they're offering and seeing how you can tweak it, make it better. And, and Again, it's all about that attraction. If you walk outside, um, if you're walking outside and you're looking for a date, are you, you know, same thing. Are you wearing something that's attractive and bright and kind of and and, and out there? So they're like, oh, who's that guy? Or is it something where you're just kind of kind of trying to stay behind in the background, things like that? So, anyway, that's attract. Um, so you got sorry, that's a that's capture. So capture and the attract are very similar. Can't 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 capture them if you don't attract them. Um, so you got capture educate. That's the actual process of educating them. 
Now, that doesn't mean you're going to educate them to close. I mean, that would be arrogant to think you're going to get every you're going every person you catch you're, you're going to actually convert into a customer. That doesn't mean they won't convert six months down the road. Now, the question is whether or not they're going to buy from you or from your competitor. Mm -hmm. um, so, capture, educate, convert. Pretty simple, self-explanatory. They become a customer, um, and then repeat and referral. How many of you? And this is a question you should be asking yourself. How many of you have have a customer or a repeat how many of you have some sort of repeatable process that allows people to buy from you or how many of you are are offering an option for them to have monthly service so as mike said in arizona it's pretty much sunny all year round and hot so we have grass all year round whether it's overseeding or not i have my guy that comes uh, every every second Monday and cuts and trims my yard, changes my water, does the whole nine yards. I don't have to do anything. It is glorious. So how many of you are offering that type of service to your customers every single time you talk to them or are you just offering them a one-time transaction and then we'll see you later? Well, and part of that is going to be upselling services as well, right? So you've got this like got regular it. maintenance customer and then you want to also get them for fall and for aeration, like fall cleanup, aeration, spring cleanup, all of that, start pushing those things. And that's where I think that right now everyone's yep. getting really busy with the regular maintenance. And so they're taking their foot off the gas pedal like Mike was talking about. They're easing up on their sales process and they're not pushing up sales right now because they're too busy. So what, what would you recommend that these people do to not take their foot off the gas pedal right now? Well, that's a great question because I think that the upsell opportunity, you don't have to upsell them to start today either. You can upsell them saying, hey, when it's time to overseed, it would be beneficial for us to do that. And here's why. Show them pictures, show them examples if you have to of case studies. So you can get them on the books as somebody that's interested. That's an easy opportunity to convert them down the road, but it builds your predictable revenue. And the second thing you should be doing, and it's a question you should all be asking yourselves is, do you have a customer referral uh, a way of collecting, asking and collecting customer referrals. That's another great way of looking at the season with the lulls and, and you have seasonality is how do you change seasonality? Yes, it's there. Yes, it's prevalent. Yes, you know, we, we give into it as a reason for our slow numbers, but how do we get out of that potentially? Or how do we reduce that gap so it's not as aggressive? And that's via those up sales and, and planning them out for predictor revenue. And it's also by asking for customer referrals and giving them an incentive to do so. If you kick butt at your job and you do an excellent job and they're thanking you, why would you ever not want to ask for a customer referral? Right. And I think that's something, especially in this ecosystem, people are really uh, apt to ask for a social review. But a lot of times we forget to ask for a referral. And if somebody refers their friend, uh, you're a lot more likely to gain that 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 um, that work because they, they already know that person, they trust them. So they're gonna be more likely to um, do that. I, as I was looking down here, and I, I don't know if my Picasso here is gonna be able to see it, um, but basically what I had here is the beginning, um, if you can see this silo, and this is something very Corey similar, uh, this would be your sales funnel. Oh, yeah. These are all your sources. So you get your Facebook ads, your Google AdWords, the phone, your website. And I think, and, and feel free to hop in here, Corey, and this, this dollar sign is the sale. Um, so I think what Corey's saying is just a visual representation. There's a little magnet in here. So one of the things you can do to start building those, um, that list of people that aren't ready to buy it is having a free white paper, some education. So maybe it's not overseeing upseeding time, but if we have a free lead magnet that educates them and gives them content how to do it, 
when it gets crazy in the fall and they don't have time to do it, who's the first person they're going to go out and um, think about? It? It's going to be you because you provided that value content. And let's let's face it, a lot of contractors are scared to to teach their consumers or their potential consumers how to do the services they're doing. Well, with the day and age, you, all you have to do is just this crazy thing called Google and YouTube. If they want to learn how to do it, it's out there. So in my opinion, I'm curious your opinion on it, Corey, is why wouldn't we go out and educate them, create ourselves as the topic expert, and hopefully create a higher perceived value because we've educated them how to do it. Um, and what life cycle marketing is, just so you can kind of see it is, so is they're getting into that sales funnel, if they're not hitting that lead magnet, we're going to make the sale. And to put some context to it, as you come out the back other end here, what Corey is talking about is going out for the reoccurring. So if it's a one-time uh, deep clean, we're upselling a reoccurring cleaning. Or if it's a one-time shrub trimming, we're going to get them with a reoccurring fertilization lawn mowing. Or on the flip side, the referral brand. Hey, who do you know that can use our services? So didn't mean to hijack the call, but I know sometimes visual learners, at least myself, before I was introduced to this um, life cycle marketing actual visual here, that, that put the context in. So what I'll do in the show notes later today is I'll uh, – Outside of my Picasso, I'll actually do something on a, on a, on a flow chart so you can actually see um, what that looks like and maybe give you some ideas how in each part of that life cycle marketing, you can add more value and, and get that gas pedal down to the pedal again on the floor and, and start driving those sales proactively before um, the pain points there. So you're top of frame of mind when those weeds first popping up or if you're in Phoenix and the grass is dying out, you need that scalp and overseed to keep the grass going through the winter. <clears throat> Make sure you subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a podcast. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've tried to I've tried to scalp my own grass with a weed eater. It's a horrible experience. Hence the reason I have a guy that comes every two weeks now. <laughs> so YouTube videos don't always do it justice. You guys seen those those um, those Pinterest things where it's like the what it should look like and what it looks like? That's the reason why you guys are in business is because we make it look like it's not like it's crap. So, um, but anyways, yes, you're exactly right. If you're tracking, also, if you're tracking how much it costs to acquire a customer, wh what are the cheapest customers you can possibly get? Referrals, right? They, yeah. they literally cost you nothing. So if, if you're someone else doing your marketing job, for you. Exactly, right? By just you kicking ass at your job, you kicking butt at what you actually do in your career and your passion of making lawns look glorious. I mean, I have uh, friends that are landscapers that, that post on Instagram all the time and they're, the stuff they post looks incredible. And I guarantee you it's getting them business. Getting back to the reviews, I pretty much buy everything via reviews now. Now, if somebody gives me a referral, then I don't even, I literally don't Google it all. I just give them a call and say, let's do this because I know and trust an individual that referred it to me and I've seen their lawn. I've seen whatever it is that they're, that they're referring. And so that's, that's to me, the easiest way to increase or to double your, your, in, your revenue is via upsells and customer referrals. And you just have to create the outlet. You just have to create that opportunity. Just as simply as sending out an email once a month saying, hey, by the way, here's our customer referral program. Let us know if you have anybody that you'd like to refer. Also, here's a tip and trick on how to keep that grass green when your dog is going to the restroom in your grass. It looks like we've got a question here. Uh, what's the best incentive to motivate clients to refer us to all their friends and family? Uh, thanks for throwing that up, Cody. Uh, so Jordan wants to know, are, are, you, are, you, are you loving them up for the referral? Are you are, you know, trying to do something to continue that, that positive interaction with you? Or what, what's the best approach you would uh, throw at that, Corey? So if you have, there's a couple ones. If you have them on a, so my pest control guy, um, he comes, I, I have all the services. <laughs> 
Um, he comes once, I think, every three months. Got to keep them scorpions away. Um, but he comes, I think, every three months. But my bill has decreased every person that I've actually referred. So that's another way of doing it is you just decrease your the bill by five bucks. If I mean, depending on where your, your margins are. That's one way of doing it. Another way is honestly just asking. You don't even have to incentivize them half the time. If, if you've gained a relationship with them and you have reciprocity, you have money in the bank already with them. And so just simply asking is one way to do it. If they ask you what the program is, at that point in time, you can come up with something that is beneficial to them. And it could be a $10 Starbucks card. I mean, there's there's several options that you can do there. Think about the customers you that you work with. Think about who they are and think about what are the, some of the things that they like and what do they enjoy. So, you know, if they have a family, offer um, a dinner card. You know, again, like $10. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It just has to be something to say thank you. But on the flip side, you don't always have to offer something. There's a lot of times where you just simply ask and because your your service is so good and you've built that relationship, they're more than willing to do that. When you get a text message from a client where they say, oh my gosh, the job that you guys did today was so incredible, that is the perfect time to ask for a referral. A lot of times we'll Absolutely. go, oh man, would you, here's a link to write a review of us on Facebook or whatever. It's so much more valuable for you uh, against like getting one more Facebook review to get them to go tell a family member, hey, you know, uh, Callahan's Lawn Care kicked ass on my, my lawn today. You should really consider hiring them because your lawn looks like trash. Uh, that's so much more valuable to you than, than another Facebook review. Love totally it. Uh, yeah, and I think, Corey, you hit on it here, and I know you've got a pretty compressed schedule, so I, I want to be respectful of your time. But um, We're good. One, one of the things that, um, that, that struck a chord with me is you said you want to be aware of your client acquisition costs. So if you're using a CRM like Service Autopilot, uh, there's certain things that we can be tracking, our lead source. So if you're not, in my opinion, I'm curious your opinion, but I, I'm pretty sure uh, we, we are cut from the same cloth in this, in this idea is uh, when somebody calls our office or they email us or they hit a web form, we should be tracking how they heard about us. And in, in, in the service autopilot now, you're able to run these uh, client acquisition uh, reports. So we can say, okay, how much is uh, the lettering on our truck per se, rather bringing in for our sales? So I saw the truck or it's a Facebook ad or it was an Instagram ad mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, it was a referral. And then you can actually dive, dive in a little more uh, granularity, not to get to the weeds, but you can actually track per client in SA, I believe, of how much they referred in the client referral. So the, the lifetime value of that customer as you're looking at that might not only be for the services they're they're buying from you, but it could be a whole network of people they're referring. So Mrs. Smith may be only getting four fertilization apps because she's got a limited budget, but she might be referring every retired lady on the street to you and she may be driving you know, six, seven thousand dollars worth of fertilizing sales just from her one little lawn. So um, I, I think it, it, it was pretty uh, interesting perspective when you and I sat down D2D in Toronto and started looking at how do we break down each sales funnel and pipeline in, in the acquired uh, cost per customer. Um, and, and Jonathan Tosnack yep. uses this analogy, haven't heard it in a couple of years, but he was like, if you knew a customer cost $100 and they're all sitting inside a Coke machine, well, how many hundred dollars would you throw in that machine? Well, obviously as many as we could get out of that machine for a hundred bucks because we know that that costs. So um, I think there's just a really interesting perspective and a lot of the sales pros that have been on the show is we need to track these key KPIs, key performance indicators to be able to, to have a clear dashboard of what a client costs, how much revenue they're going to bring in and how much we can actually afford to go out and acquire them. 
Um, and I think Corey's hit on a lot of these things. Yeah, especially yeah, especially dumping money, money into, into the marketing. marketing. That's going to be key. Because as you go into the summer months where you start pumping into marketing, you start pumping the uh, your money into marketing. If you don't know your cost of acquisition, you could actually be on the on the negative side of the house. So, but on the flip side, if you have a great cost of acquisition going in early in the year, then you can almost double potentially double your expenses in the second half of the year where you have that little lull, and that may be where you actually throw in a little bit more aggressive customer referral campaign, a little bit more. So instead of ten dollars, it's twenty dollars, and whatever it may be, and you also don't have to make your discounts with your customers perpetual either. Per se, you can do them time bound. Hey, I'll give you fifty percent off for the next three months. You can also offer the same thing to the customers that you're attracting. So you can get, you can give it to the, your, the referrer and the referral. And so that's one way of also showing the relationship you have with your customer to your future customer. So you can then have, then they now know what your program is, but then go and refer and so on and so forth. Wow. Awesome. I think Cody, I don't know if you had it. We had one uh, submitted question that I, I sent you before the show. If we can get to that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let me, let me grab that real quick. A couple key takeaways before we wrap it up. Um, but you know, Corey, I can't thank you enough so far. Just, just great no knowledge, problem. a little bit different perspective, obviously, um, that we see. So I really, I, I appreciate the look at that life cycle marketing, how to drive those end of the year sales. Um, and as we're building that list in, in, in the CRM, such as service autopilot, I think you kind of alluded to it is, is we can spend a little bit more, but we also now hopefully have a, a list that we can start working internally and, and continue content. So we're constantly in front of them and driving more sales and actually at some point, lowering the cost of acquisition because we're, we're qualified a database. We're going to keep exactly. All right, hey, I've got that. that last yeah, when you look at, um, oh, we work with bars. Yeah, we work. No, real quick. Sorry, we work with bars and restaurants, and so they they absolutely have seasonality, right? If you're in Minnesota, you have seasonality. So what we're teaching them is say collect as much as you possibly can, so you can try to get them back to your to your uh, bar or restaurant. And so it's the same thing as with anything is how do you collect as much of that clientele, as much of that interest as possible so you can reduce that dip in seasonality and extend it by, uh, by getting some, some additional revenue. So, so service-based uh, companies in, in, um, in lawn care, what are, what's something else you can offer that it involves uh, lawn or whatever it may be or uh, house clean? What else can you offer that is a, is a smaller fee potentially? but can be done within that seasonality piece as well. Is there another product that you could come up with that allowed? So I had a guy that was in the roofing industry. Um, he cleaned roofs. That's what he did. He, he repaid, repaired roofs and replaced roofs. And during the seasons where it didn't make sense, he offered a subscription where he'd actually come and clean your roof to preserve its longevity. That's getting creative. Anyways. Oh, cool insight. Yeah, go ahead, Cody. All right. So this was from Matt Green from uh, Mike's hype video earlier uh, for this uh, live video. All right. He's asking about tips to ramp up sales in the midsummer. They had uh, a lot of trouble with low rainfalls, uh, screwing up their mowing revenue this year. The grass isn't growing. Um, they're having trouble selling landscaping going into the middle of the summer uh, because they typically have that all lined up in the spring and they turned away a lot of jobs because they were anticipating mowing taking up a lot of their time. And so now he's scrambling, trying to keep his guys busy. So any tips on how to help him? I guess like he'd kind of taken his foot off the gas and he's trying to figure out how to slam it back down now that he's having a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say 
it's it's always best to have a, a personnel problem in regards to um, needing needing to hire people than filling people's time. So you know, I would say you know in the future, obviously, and I think you've probably learned from this um, as a, as I have, um, is if you if you feel that it's going to take up a bunch of your time, prepare for that in regards to potentially getting some additional headcount um, instead of instead of losing the business, losing the opportunity because because again just having that opportunity is a customer that you've collected. Um, and Mike, you can probably speak to this better just based on the, the fact that you are in the actual dirt working on lawns and things like that. And you've probably been through that. Yeah, I was on the truck a, a couple of weeks ago doing some training with my, uh, exactly. my my company manager was out of town. So I, I occasionally I do get dirty and I was in the trenches. I still get so wait to give you that video, Cody. It's a good one. Uh, but yeah, I've got a truck on fire. Did he tell you about this? What's that? That you lit a truck on fire? Yeah, that was, uh, it was about a week and a half. You shouldn't go out to the field. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when the kid gets back, the kid gets back into it dirty. <laughs> um, but I've got, some, I got, I got two quick thoughts on this. Um, one, as we hit that spring rush, and this is this is what was very common in my company in New York is. Um, originally, we didn't have the capacity to fill that, but we would never tell anybody we were booked. And it's not that we we're trying to be deceiving, but as we uh, had those phone calls in. We still screened them. We still took their name, got their address, got their email. We needed to get them in to uh, service autopilot. Originally, it was an infusion soft, and we've kind of pulled that all back in and built it all natively in SA, so we don't have that multiple system chaos. But one of the biggest things I learned is if we've spent good money um, on SEO and Facebook and everything else we're doing, the door door hangers, the nine arounds, we're paying money for those leads to actually contact us. So it would be really foolish for us to just answer the phone like, hey, we're fully booked. Let's get them in. Let's build that database. Let's segment what service they're in. So when it comes to that time, to the slow season here or the following spring, we can double down and have personalized conversation by segmenting. And the way we segmented these things um, was literally a lawn, like we'll use the lawn mowing example. It was a lawn mowing lead that needed an estimate. It was a lawn mowing estimate. A lawn mowing um, person that had an estimate needed to be closed, and then they became a uh, either a won or lost lawn mowing estimate. Now, if they won it, we would have the segmentation where we would get into late August, early September, where the system would automatically know they're a lawn mowing customer, but they don't have a fall cleanup. So the system automatically on September 15th would fire out emails, text messages, or to dos an essay with a call script. So the main takeaway that I, I would like to share, hopefully my competition's not watching, never admit that you're booked right up front because even if you can't get them the estimate, we need to get that list. So when we come back to February next year, if you're in a southern state, maybe January, now we've created a sense of scarcity and urgency to the service. We've got your name and now you know we're so good that we're booked. And we would love to help you, but we just can't because we don't overbook our schedules. We provide reliable and, and great service. So that's going to give you now a head start for the next spring. And then if you're building an automations or if you're doing post-it notes on the wall, I don't care what it is. When that time hits, you're going to ramp up about a month and a half, two months when the season starts. And then by the time the pain point hit that bleeding neck syndrome, you've got weeds all over your yard, the neighbor hates you. Who are they going to think about? Because you've been talking to them for the first month and a half of the season, telling them how to take care of this problem. But on the flip side, if you told them you're both, you still have them in the list. Why wouldn't you continue to do a short-term uh, drip or nurture that would educate them? Because what happens when the contract you have right now 
uh, loses all of its employees, doesn't return phone calls, they blow a rock through the window, you name it, it happens. The crazy owner gets on a truck and burns the whole company down to the ground with one truck and all 15 <laughs> go down. You never know. Um, but that's one thing that we find when we have our, to simplify it, our welcome and wow package. So once you sign up with our company, we're going to get you an email with your, your payment portal link um, and password to get your credit card on file to get the annual billing it for cash flow. But we're also going to follow up on a 30, 60, and 90 day process if it's a reoccurring service um, to make sure you're happy. But no one else does that. So if the other contractor drops the ball and we lose the estimate, we're still going to stay in front of you um, and, and continually politely ask you, how's, how's your existing contractor that you hired? And when they drop the ball, we're top of frame of mind. And people are shocked that we're following up with them after they said, we don't want your service. So I think it's a two-pronged approach. You want to create the database so you have it for next year, create that scarce, the scarcity and urgency so they're going to really want to get on your schedule early. But let's follow up in the short term so if their current contractor cancels, we're there to pick up the scraps. And uh, that's kind, kind of, of worst case scenario. scenario. Yeah, in worst case scenario, you have somebody that you know and trust that is also in the same industry that when you're swamped, you can still maintain that, uh, that that offers very similar services. They value their company the same in the sense of delivering uh, perfection, the whole nine yards. So worst case scenario, you outsource some of that work, you take your cut off the top of it, and they go ahead and just execute on that contract or on that piece of it. And you still maintain the customer, you still maintain the relationship. It's just one way of turning that faucet um, up, turn on that faucet a little bit to let that water run. And then you just close it down when, when, when that's not needed. Yeah. As we close up, Corey, I think this kind of leads into how you manage the partners and had that referral net network. Um, but it, basically they're called joint, uh, joint venture partners. So maybe I'm a lawn care guy and I cut lawns, but maybe the garden center down the street does nothing but flowers and installs. Um, yep. So having that referral network, I would think would be really advantageous um, because maybe when, the lawns are slowing up. They're, they're hearing about the dissatisfied people getting the lawns cut and maybe you guys can work in unison. So um, yep. how would you go about setting up a referral partner or a strategic alliance in your local town or city um, that's not necessarily competitive? Or maybe I think you hit on it too as well. Maybe it's a competitor that when you don't have that bandwidth, we let them take it up. And then once they fill that schedule up, then we go out and acquire uh, the equipment of the trucks to, to satisfy that work. Uh, what would be the best approach to reach out to a joint venture or even competing company to, to create that alliance so you can have that uh, strategic alliance to keep growing and scaling? For sure. So you have the normal one's going to be BNI. It's going to be pretty natural. One is there's those networking groups. Another one is your chamber, local chamber. You can join that as well. Um, and those ones, those ones work. If it's me, you guys deal with stuff every day that may not be pertinent to your job. Let's say, let's say you, let's say you don't actually do. Um, you don't actually lay down the pipe and you don't lay down all those steps and you guys strictly do trimming bushes, trees and things like that. And you come in and you break one of the sprinklers. Well, there's an opportunity to outsource that. I have, my brother-in-law owns a carpet cleaning business. He doesn't fix carpet. He doesn't install carpet. He doesn't do cabinets. All of those things all revolve around that. He cleans carpet. He does it and he cleans tile. He doesn't do air ducts or anything like that. Every time I ask him a question outside of that, he has somebody that he sends me directly to. And it just happened that I requested somebody to fix my carpet as we're preparing to sell our house. I text the guy two times in five days, didn't respond. I text my brother-in-law and said, hey, what's up with this guy? And he calls them, chews them out and says, I send you guys thousands and thousands of dollars a month and you don't even call my brother-in-law back. 
within seconds, I had a call and we got it scheduled. Now, did, was that a good taste in my mouth? Eh, probably not. Do I still trust my brother-in-law? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but that's an example of, of an opportunity to create those relationships. And now they refer business in constantly. Um, so when the guy goes to replace a carpet, if it's because of animals or something gets spilled or whatever, he has Cliff come in first. And so there's those types of relationships you can build as small businesses as well. They're just services that you see. If you shatter a window from your lawnmower shooting a rock, there's a relationship opportunity. Awesome. And, and I think as we wrap this up, uh, Corey, I can't thank you enough. Just an absolute knowledge bomb this week. Um, and so much, near, near, near your heart. Uh, we've got uh, Dan Relts, the dream manager, coming on this Thursday. Um, oh, nice. So Dan is going to be on. We're going to be talking about managing dreams, building a culture, creating a vision, um, how to get strategic leadership to get so from the top down as you're starting to scale out your business and have different leaders, how to get uh, manage those dreams, get people aligned, especially with the millennial workforce. So um, Dan Relts, the dream manager, is going to be on this Thursday. Um, I mean, I literally watched Dan go into a two and a half hour conversation on the word integrity itself, um, which was no an conversation. But the, the man is uh, is just very, very insightful. Um, he so, knows what he's talking about for sure. Yeah. It's so we're making up for not having an episode last week, guys. We're yeah. we're really bringing the content this week. We're, we're hitting you hard and heavy. Um, so once again, Mike Callahan in New York, Cody Owen of Lawn Care Millionaire Studio, and. Uh, Corey Schneider from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Corey, again, thanks again, and uh, we'll see everybody again Thursday. Thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me. See you guys. If you like this show, you might want to check out our resources at www.startsimplegrowth.com. While you're there, enter to win an estimator chatbot. Mike Callahan is available for private coaching.